Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. It is a fine Sunday morning, and I'm here to record part 2.5 and 3 of the photography podcast. Uh, 2.5 is basically going to be the feedback I've gotten from uh, part 1 and 2, especially part 2. I wasn't um, initially planning on doing like a 2.5, but had a lot of questions to ask um, and uh, and messages about some of the things I've talked about, explaining things a little bit better, probably because I did a piss poor job, uh, especially in part two on a couple things, uh, and and give some more scenarios that uh, people have asked me about um, on camera settings. And then uh, we'll take a break, and then I'll do part three, which is lessons learned, uh, just certain things to think about, some tech tip type stuff. Um, so anyway, let's start with um, two point five now. One of the things that, um, oh, grab my water and my notepad. Uh, one of the things that was pretty clear was a lot of people had questions on the, you know, camera settings, um, you know, especially kind of basing them off some of the photos I've posted up on, on social media, like, uh, Instagram and how I got that specific photo. So, um, I'm going to knock those out. The questions I had with those first, um, with uh snow i just posted a photo of amy uh it was a, a shed hunting fishing trip last spring or yeah last spring it's now 2018 uh she's just standing there she's got a shed on her backpack uh and it's snowing the lighting was pretty piss poor because of the snow and the clouds and i was able to uh stop the snow so you could actually see it you know so it wasn't a blur so you could actually see the specific flakes and how i was able to do that especially with low lighting and not get too much grain. Uh, well, one thing I did not use, uh, the first thing I would suggest, even though I didn't do it was a tripod. Now in this case, I actually handheld it, put the photo on a timer, uh, so I could hold it really steady in my arms. Um, I was able, I bumped up the ISO. I looked last night on my, my Lightroom so I could tell what my settings were. Uh, and I was able to bump up the, um, ISO, uh, to 600, which is still pretty low, but, um, you know, a little bit higher than normal. Uh, so, but what I did, uh, with that specific photo that I think really paid off was I, I didn't just push the button and take the photo because there would have been some blur. I put it on a two second timer. And so that way, once I hit the button, I could really hold it tight to my chest and focus on not moving. I had my aperture priority set pretty low for that photo, um, I had it set at 4.5. So Amy was in focus. Uh, everything else was a little bit blurry in the back, but that was what I wanted to, you know, that was the key part of the photo was having Amy with her pack and the shed on her pack in focus. And so I didn't read it, need a real, you know, deep depth of field. And so mm. with that, I had that photo, I, I have my camera in aperture priority for that. And so the shutter speed was, um, you know, setting itself because an aperture priority, I adjust the aperture, the camera adjusts the shutter speed. Um, when I, when I looked at the settings for that and I, I took about 15 photos, uh, with a little bit different perspectives and angles. Uh, but the first photo I took was really just looking at, um, what the photo came out like, if it was actually going to, you know, to work. So knowing that I would probably put that in post-processing, I actually j bumped, my exposure value or exposure compensation down. And I'll talk about that in a minute because I didn't touch on it before. 
Um, and when I did that, that is when I when I bump that exposure value down, that makes my shutter speed a little bit faster. And and, and then that even though the photo was then a little bit dark, it was kind of a dark looking photo to begin with. So if I would have made it brighter, it wouldn't have been what the photo actually looked like at that time. So I wasn't too worried about that. Obviously, I want enough light in the photo to where everybody can see what, um, you know, <laughs> obviously I, I want everybody to be able to see Amy and the shed and the pack and everything else. So I bumped the exposure value a little bit lower, a couple stops, which then sped my shutter speed up. Now I could have went into manual, but I didn't need to. So that's how I was able to do that. I bunched my exposure value down a couple stops, made the photo a little bit darker. I knew I could pop it a little bit in post-processing, so I wasn't worried about that. And when I bumped the exposure value down and it sped up the shutter speed, that was enough to stop the snow because the shutter speed was fast enough to kind of freeze time with those snowflakes in the air. And, and that's how I did that one. Now, you could just go to manual. Um, I, uh, I didn't just for speed, you know, I can, if I can shoot it in aperture priority, I normally do. I usually only go to full manual, like I said before, in low lighting. Now, now that I brought that up, something I didn't cover was exposure compensation in the first part, which was just my bad. I just didn't even think about it. And exposure compensation, I think is the most important when you're in aperture priority. And what that does is basically allows you to tweak the photo the lighting in the photo a little bit depending upon what's going on the on in the background or the foreground and what lighting you're actually needing meaning if it's a photo with snow in it the snow always tricks your camera every time and it underexposes it because it's just so bright and so the exposure that your camera presets when you take the photo is wrong. And that's when the exposure compensation comes into play. So if you've ever noticed taking snow uh, photos in the snow, they'll usually come out dark and kind of gray and, and low and, and they'll be darker than you want. And that's when you, there's a little plus minus uh, button on most cameras where you can bump or up or down your exposure compensation in snow. Um, and when I say, and I don't mean when it's snowing, but when you have snow all over on the ground, you're going to want to bump your exposure compensation one or two stops up generally for snow. But let's say you're taking a night photo. Usually in a night photo, you're going to want to bump it down because the lights are going to be blown out and things like that. It won't be as dark as it probably should be. So a lot of night photos, I'll actually bump it down three to four stops, the exposure compensation. And Mm. sorry about that had to get a drink um and i'm not going to go into a large long detailed explanation of exposure compensation because google is a powerful thing just hop on google it'll explain it all but it's ex important to learn exposure compensation especially when shooting an aperture priority because when you do that it kind of tweaks the shutter speed and your camera is giving you a in its mind, a picture-perfect exposure value um, and every photo you take. But that's in your camera's mind, and your camera's not always correct. So once you take your first photo or two or three, you can look at that, 
tweak your exposure compensation, and then that will either speed up or slow down your shutter speed, which is set automatically with your camera. So it's it's very important, and I just flat out screwed up. I didn't bring it up. I didn't really have a lot of questions about this, but I had questions that even though you 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 guys didn't know what you were asking, it actually you know, led into exposure compensation or how I took the photo. Uh, one second, I'm gonna take a drink here and I'm back. Sorry about that. I've been getting complaints of, uh, Brian call eating and Frank and I drinking on the podcast. So I'm trying to get away from the mic when I do that. Um, so the next photo or the next set of questions I had were photos with, um, like archaic looks with the lighting in the background, um, or the lighting in the clouds, uh, making them look kind of dark, really crisp edges. Um, and if I take those photos in HDR or if I do that with the camera or if I do that in post-processing. For the most part, I do that in post-processing. Now, I will say when I take the photo, um, I'm definitely um, keeping in mind what the clouds are doing, knowing what I may do in post-processing with that photo. So if you take a photo of a shelter, let's say, and, you know, you know, you're on, let's say the top of a ridge line and you've got some crazy photo or crazy clouds in the background. And the first time you take the photo, uh, the, the clouds are just blown out, uh, which happens, you know, frequently depending upon, you know, what's your settings at your exposure compensation, your metering, all of that stuff. So if that photo's blown out, you know, and you're paying attention to your histogram, if you have usable data, meaning the background's blown out and you learn how to use your histogram, it's kind of a moot point depending upon what you're doing with the photo later uh, because you can adjust that in Lightroom. If you uh, adjust your highlights down, that'll immediately with any photo uh, with clouds in it really start to show the edge work of those clouds. So sometimes I don't worry about it. Um, just for the simple fact I can fix it in Lightroom. But if you're going to be doing a lot of tweaking in Lightroom and that photo is going to get blown up later really large for, uh, let's say, a booth at the, you know, the, the shot show or something, um, you know, there's going to be some grain in that photo the more you tweak it in Lightroom. And so sometimes it's a lot more important to get your settings right in your camera initially. Um, and, and the way that you you do that. Well, there's multiple different ways. Uh, when I look at that photo, if I'm wanting to fill the frame for the most part, um, I'm going to put the uh, shelter a lot of times close to center or just off of center in the photo with not a lot of stuff in the foreground, but the clouds in the background. Not like where the clouds take up 75% of the photo, but where the clouds are also a focal point in that photo. Once I figured out where my frame's at, and I've got all my settings correct on my camera, for the most part, I'm gonna take my first photo and that photo is probably going to be, uh, depending upon the lighting, one, it'll be set up on a tripod and low lighting, but um, let me get an exact um, example. It's three o'clock in the afternoon, really good light, it's September, it's not getting dark for a few hours, but it's super cloudy, but you've got really like puffy clouds in the background. What I'm probably going to do first thing is set my aperture priority uh, a little bit higher than normal um, because I'm going to want 
uh, you know, the, the tent in focus or the shelter, but I'm also going to want the background in focus a little bit. So I'll bump up, bump that up into the, uh, let's say seven to 11 range is my aperture priority, but my focal point is going to be the, the shelter. So once I have that set, cause I have it in aperture priority, my shutter speed's already going to be set. Now in a perfect world, um, you know, you're the, you're always your you're going to be the best photographer you can be on cloudy days. So that's a big bonus. But what I don't want are those clouds totally blown out. And so I'm going to adjust personally my metering. I'm probably not going to do pinpoint metering um, like where I'm just metering on the shelter itself because then that definitely will blow the clouds out in the background. I'm probably going to do, um, you know, when you, when you when you want the entire photo metered, everything in that um, and in that photo, so meaning the clouds and the tent and everything else, I'll snap that photo. I'll look at the histogram. I'll take a look at the clouds on the screen, see what they look like. But what I may do is bump my exposure compensation or exposure value up or down a little bit, um, you know, just to see maybe that that may, that might pop one thing or another a little bit. Now. If you are, you know, when you're doing this, the taking these photos, I am not good enough to where I can do it in a one and done without um, uh, doing some serious tweaking and, and post-processing. And so a lot of times if I'm trying to get as little amount of post-processing done as possible, meaning I want it pretty much the shot that I take pretty dang close to what I want because it's going to be used later and blown up, I'm going to take a set of photos um, with my aperture bumped up and down, my exposure bumped up and down a stop or two, um, you know, as, as, as well as my, um, uh, well, really it's just going to be my aperture in this case and my exposure value. And that'll really tell me as well as my metering, I might meter it, um, a couple different ways as well. And, and I guess the one thing I'm getting at is, is I can't personally, get it right the first time. I'm always going to be bumping up or down a little bit to see, you know, when I get home, one of those photos is going to be better than the rest. So, but normally, you know, as I'm taking those photos with the clouds in the background, I'm looking at that histogram to make sure that I have usable data in case I do need to tweak it later, but to get it as close to perfect as I can when I take the photo. Um, okay. Next, I had a lot of questions about um, wildlife photography, photographing like your dog or really erratic subjects. And I talked a little bit about this before, but when you have, and as I say this, it's not like I'm a super experienced wildlife photographer. Now I've photographed a lot of stuff moving quickly. Um, and, but there is a lot better wildlife photographers out there, but the, you know, the key to fixing this is you need your shutter speed fast. Uh, you need that, that, that shutter speed opening and closing super quick. And so that way you're able to, again, stop time or stop that, um, animal, that dog, the kid running around, whatever, um, uh, and not be blurry. And so you need a fast shutter speed. Um, in that case, you're probably, you know, aperture priority may not work best for you. Um, it, it might, you know, you're going to have to adjust your exposure compensation as well. But in that case, you're probably going to have to go to manual depending upon your lighting situations. Now, if lighting is good and you can leave it on aperture priority, the, the key is, is taking a photo with something moving, assess what it's doing in the photo 
not just the histogram, but is it blurry? Is the, is the kid's hand blurry? If it is, it's a simple fix. You look at the photo, the kid's blurry, you need a faster shutter speed. You've got a few different ways to do that. If you're an aperture priority, um, you can either lower the aperture, meaning you'll have less depth of field. So let's say, um, you know, you had your aperture priority pretty high, um, you know, up in that, like a set seven one. That's pretty high. So drop it down, especially if you're just taking a photo of one kid, drop it to like five, six or four five, because you just need that kid in focus. That's going to open that hole really big as far as your aperture and let more light in, which when that happens, that's also going to speed up your shutter. Um, and, and that will generally fix it. If that doesn't fix it, you need to bump up your ISO. Um, and that will also speed up your shutter speed. And those are like I talked about, once you learn how to do all of this, you know, that's going to make it a lot, meaning all the adjustments, that's going to make it easier to, um, you know, get the photo you want. So uh, again, if you're moving, uh, you know, you need a fast shutter speed, whatever it takes you to get there, however you figure it out. Um, you're going to need super fast shutter speed to, to stop moving targets. Um, now in low light, sometimes you're just totally screwed. Um, you're just not going to be able to get the photo you may want. I have a lot of parents that have messaged me that try to take indoor uh, sports photos of their kids. And uh, if you can get around some of it with a with a tripod or a, a monopod, um, you know, bumping up your ISO. But sometimes it's just if you've got that bad of lighting, you got kids moving around. Um, sometimes you're just or I can't get the perfect photo because there's just not enough light there. You're going to have to wait till your kids stand there at a timeout or something. Because if they're running around kicking a ball and you got shitty lighting, you're just screwed. Um, look at my notes here. Okay, the, the night shots with the Milky Way. I got a ton of questions about the night shots. Um, with the night shots, and I talked about those before, uh, one was getting the night shots in focus. Um, and one was also, uh, how to, you know, like I talked about before, really getting the Milky Way to pop. Now, as far as getting, you know, being totally candid, getting things in focus, I have to adjust my focus. Um, I have to take multiple photos of one uh, specific scene to get the focus correct. Um, it's hard when it's just pitch ass black dark and you can't see anything to know it's exactly in focus. So uh, depending upon, you know, if I'm trying to get a tent or someone standing there or whatever uh, in focus as well, um, you know, let's keep that out and just focus on the stars and the, and the Milky Way. Um, on your focal point, you'll have an infinity setting. Um, and so usually if I max it out to infinity and then back it off a little ways um, to where I'm still in that infinity parameter what i'll do is i'll back that off take a photo bump it a little take it again bump it a little take it again and so i am one of those photos is going to be a bit more perfect than the other i do the same thing when i have a teepee or a tent or a person in the photo um I, as far as getting it in perfect focus I'm bumping it a little bit at a time. So I'm getting multiple different shots with a little bit different um, focus point. It's not the best way to do it. I'm sure there's other ways to get it correct. It's a hell of a lot easier when I'm focusing on a tent at night because I can turn my headlamp on autofocus on the shelter and then switch it to manual and bump it back and forth from there a little bit. 
uh, if needed. Uh, as far as lighting goes, some of the different tricks or ways to get around um, not blowing out your your tent when you're trying to get the stars. So you want your tent lit up, but your ISO is high and your shutter speed is extremely long. So your stars are looking great, but your tent looks like it's blown out and, and, and horrible. Take your headlamp, put a hat over it, put a t-shirt over it. You know, you're going to have to tweak that a little bit. Um, you know, in, in the case of, um, you know, let's say a, a, a Kafaru Super Tarp, what a lot of times that I'll do is I'll put the, the headlamp on a wide angle. I'll put it in there and then I put a like a t-shirt on top of it or something that blocks that light. So it's still a really bright light. It's still, you know, a really wide flare, but it's not as dramatic. And so when I have my, you know, sometimes with the Milky Way, you do have to have a really high ISO. If I have my ISO at 60, 1600 or above, and I have my shutter speed set at 20 seconds, so it's open for 20 seconds, I'm still going to get ton of light in that, um, that tent even though that that headlamp is covered because the uh, it's open for so long and the, you know, the shutter and the ISO is so high. So I'm, again, I'm tweaking the system a little bit by, um, you know, covering that headlamp. That's the best way to do it that I've found. Um, now if you're getting, uh, when you're taking photos, I had a lot of questions about fire, taking photos of fire at night. And let me tell you, it is an epic pain in the ass to get fire, right? Because it's never standing still. It's moving constantly, especially if you're trying to get someone sitting beside the fire, um, you know, because then you have to have them stay still. And it's it, it's hard to get a good subject to stay still for that long because you're talking, um, you know, you're still having your, you know, your shutter is going to be open a bit. What I have found best with taking people around a fire is a lower ISO, not super low, but fairly low. So the fire's not blown out. That higher ISO will just you know, blow out that fire so bad. Um, so I've actually started, I mean, it took me a while to get the hang of this, a little bit lower ISO so the fire's not blown out, but you're going to need to find a happy medium because if you lower the ISO, um, your shutter speed may potentially need to be open a little bit longer, which will make that fire, um, you won't have super crisp edges. It's going to be kind of flowing and it'll have lots of ember, embers coming out of it. So again, what I'm going to do with those photos is I'm going to screw around bumping my ISO up or down a little bit. I'm going to bump my shutter speed up or down a little bit. For the most part, my aperture priority is going to stay the exact same. Um, you know, I've got the fire and the person beside it in focus. So that's going to stay what it needs to stay at. Let's say a, a four five or five, six. Um, the the fire is going to be the pain in the butt so um you know the faster shutter speed the crisper the edges it's really going to stop the fire exactly where it's at um but your iso may be higher for that so it may blow out the fire the slower the shutter speed it's not going to have as crisp of edges you're going to have a lot more embers flying out of the fire strings and tails uh but your fire may not be blown out as much most fire shots I have to tweak in, in post-processing a little bit. So um, generally, let's say, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night. It's super dark, not worried about stars, not worried about anything, just the guy sitting by the fire. I'm going to start with an ISO of probably 800, um, and I'm going to start with the shutter speed. Um, pretty, I mean, 
it depends, but you pretty dang low, like, um, almost to a point where, how would I put this? Um, almost to where a point where you could almost handhold it. Um, if you were super steady or do it on a log and, and, uh, you know, it's going to be slow, but not so slow. You have to have it on a tripod. I will always have it on a tripod. I'm not saying I won't, but meaning that's about the point I'll start it at. And shutter speed gets super confusing. So I highly suggest you Google that because I know I'll make you more confused explaining it. Um, but again, uh, you know, if your shutter speed said one, uh, forward slash five hundredths, that's one and five hundredths of a second, um, is how fast that's opening and closing, which is pretty quick. Um, as it goes down, you're going to see it, um, go into basically kind of like, I wouldn't say the negatives, um, but it's going to go to where it's open for, you know, seconds at a time. And so when it starts to get to where it's opened at seconds at a time, or it's open for one second, let's say, um, that's when that flyer, you're going to get a lot of strings and things like that. So, um, you know, when you are taking those photos for, um, for the, for the, for the fire and trying to get it to more or less not have tons of strings, I'm usually going to bump up and bump down at least three to four stops either way to try to get it perfect. Some guys may be able to get a little bit better, but meaning I'm going to bump my ISO up and down, but also my shutter speed up and down pretty significantly for fire, especially as the fire, the wind's picking up or the fire's heating up or cooling down. Um, that's the best way I've found to, 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 uh, you know, to get the fire look correctly. Uh, one of the shots I took that I've gotten the most questions about was, uh, a buddy of mine, Derek O'Driscoll. We were in the Songer, <clears throat> excuse me, Songer to Christos and, uh, it ended up being the cover of the Kafaru catalog. He's sitting there with like a beanie hat on, um, and, uh, you know, an amazing background in the mountains. And that, uh, you know, people are like, man, that photo is amazing. I probably took 150 shots of him in front of that fire to get that one perfect photo with his face perfectly clear, the fire doing exactly what I wanted to do. Part of the problem, we were at just under 13,000 feet. It's windy. Uh, another problem, there wasn't a lot of firewood. So when I was trying to take this, we were trying to c conserve firewood because we were also using it to stay warm and not freeze to death. Um, you know, and Derek flat out like anyone else, that many photos. Yeah. He got tired of sitting there cause he had to stay still. So, uh, it's not like I snapped that photo, took three of them and I was good. I don't know if I took 150, but I certainly took a shitload. So, uh, okay. Water. Um, another question I got was, uh, water and uh and how that works to to make water kind of look like a one consistent long like fluffy flowing uh piece of water and i don't do this a lot but you need filters to make that happen especially like when you're doing it in daylight and what that filter does is tricks your camera to make it think it's a lot darker than it is which then your shutter speed can be open a lot longer which makes that water look completely different it makes it look like a one long flowing fluffy cloud that's you have to have a filter to do that um and an nd filter is, is what it's called um and there's different you know the filter will say like a three-stop filter what that's saying is is it's three stops difference um 
or lower, meaning it, it looks that much darker. So you can your your you can open up your your shutter. I guess three stops different from perfection. I, I guess would be a good way to explain it. So you have to have a filter. Uh, an ND filter, and, and that can get super expensive if you get multiple ND filters. I just use two. I have a three-stop and a 10-stop. Um, you know, the 10-stop I don't use very often, but usually it's for uh, taking night shots when I'm wanting to, um, or, or lower light shots, but I'm, uh, I shouldn't say lower light. It's when I'm trying to get uh, car lights, like headlights and taillights coming around corners, um, in cityscapes where it's going to be blown out too much without that. Uh, meaning if I, if I have my shutter speed open long enough to get the long, you know, lines of taillights and brake lights, it's going to be blown out too much. So I need to make the camera think it's darker than it is. So that's how you, not always, but definitely on, on water, that's how you make water look like a long flowing fluffy cloud. Uh, but that's usually how you're going to get a photo to look the best in uh, semi low light, but in cityscapes where you're going to get the, you know, the, the cars going around corners or going down the highway where it's a big, long light. You don't even see the car. You're just seeing the headlights and taillights. So, and it's not like I'm an expert at those. I screw around on them sometimes, but, um, I do get, uh, that's not my, my love is not into that type of photography. It's just fun to screw around with. Okay, next question I had was macro photography, um, which is like taking photos of bugs and things like that. That's not for me. I, um, I don't screw around with that very much, so I'm probably not the best guy to answer the the macro photography questions. You definitely, you, the one thing I would say, you're going to have to get a macro lens, which is going to be able to focus super, super close. Um I think a lot of the questions I had about macro photography were actually that you don't have the correct lens to take macro shots, um, meaning your your camera won't focus in close enough to that specific you know subject, whether it be an ant or a moth or or, or whatever. Um, you, you, your lens has to be able to focus in super close. And once you get, let's say, to two feet, all of a sudden it's blurry. Well, that's just because your camera, your lens isn't allowing you to get close enough. So if you're going to do, you know, if, you're, if your thing's macro photography, you're going to have to get the lens for that. And when you're looking like if you get on B&H Photo, you're going to see on there where um, it's going to say macro lens, which is going to have, you know, it allow you to be able to get super close and stay in focus. Uh, next thing, um, I had a lot of questions about HDR, um, HDR kind of a redneck way to explain it. And I talked about it a little bit before was it splices photos together, bumping up, um, or changing, uh, the settings in your camera and then splicing all those photos. So it'll take your photo at one setting, then another, then another, and splice them all together. Now you, your camera has to be in JPEG, um, meaning a lower resolution photo to take an HDR shot. I don't want to explain it too much because every camera is different as far as how to set up for uh, an HDR shot. The one thing I would suggest is just learn your camera and, and learn how to set it up to take an HDR shot and the different options you have as far as how much it'll bump it up and down each photo. Uh, you need a tripod to shoot good HDR shots. You can shoot them in the daytime without a tripod, um, but it's always going to be better um, you know, with a tripod because it is splicing all three photos together. So if you move a little bit, 
um, it's not going to be as good as if you had it set up on a tripod to splice them together. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I think HDR, um, when you first start using it, it's like super cool. And then you kind of fall out of it uh, a little bit. I'm, I don't take HDR shots anymore. I'll just tweak my photo and post if I want that HDR look, but it's certainly not a bad idea, uh, to splice three photos together sometimes, um, to help get a more perfect shot and, and just Google it for your specific camera on how to get that set up. Um, another thing that I had questions about, which I just flat out did a bad job explaining was, uh, the, the hypothetical situation of the moose where, um, you know, so the, the, per, the people are behind the moose. And so you have to have your aperture set pretty high. So you have a very deep depth of field, uh, but it's a low light situation. And the way I explained it was a little bit confusing because I said, um, when you're doing that photo, um, and your aperture is at 7.1, your shutter speed, the camera sets up and your, um, ISOs at whatever, um, that it, the photo is going to come out dark. The photo doesn't come out dark. The camera actually sets it so the photo comes out perfect. But what I meant by that was it is too dark. And so your shutter speed is open for a really long time. And so it's almost too dark to get a really good photo. Um, I don't really have a, a, a fix to that other than make sure your camera is on a tripod and you might need to bump your aperture priority down a little bit and just obviously get it as low as you can to still have everything in focus. But you may just have to straight out bump up your ISO maybe higher than you really want to. Um, and, and it might have a little bit of grain to it. If it's a really high end camera, you can get pretty away with pretty high ISO, but you're going to have to, um, of course, this is easy to say as I'm sitting in here in an office, you know, it's always different in the field. You're going to have to really look at what you're going to do with the photo. You can get away with a really high ISO if it's just going on social media, if you're just printing it in a picture that's pretty small. If you're not going to bump or blow that photo up, you don't have to worry about it as much. If you're going to blow the photo up to, you know, a banner size type photo or a pretty big one, let's say, you know, 24 uh, wide by 36 tall or 36 by 24, um, you can still get away with quite a bit. That's not blown up that big, but that's where the tripod definitely comes into play. And then you might need to just have a little bit darker photo and then change it a little bit in post-processing. So it's not that bad uh, of a deal um, really to take a photo like that for me, those are kind of second nature. They don't take too much, um, you know, setup. I just, I know that with a moose, it's so long, you're going to have to ha have a pretty high aperture number, uh, to get everything in focus. And then I might just bump my exposure compensation a little bit and then my ISO up. So that's a way to do that. Um, when I talked about the, um, like the, the snot flying out of a, an elk's nose. People really seem to understand that a lot better and the idea about how shutter speed works and things that are blurry. Um, to, to simplify a lot of the questions I got, um, you definitely, when, you, when, you, when you're screwing around with this, you're going to need to take a few sample shots, meaning you're probably going to get a couple dinks at first. And I don't worry about that. That just tells me what I need to set my camera up with. I'm always going to be super close because I know what shutter speed, a, a good rule of thumb, in my opinion, is one in five hundredths, um, your shutter speed. If you're at that level, you may have to go higher, 
but that'll usually get you done for most moving objects. Not always. Um, and higher is certainly better sometimes. Um, but if you're at one in five, that's a good place to start. Um, as a rule of thumb, an average lighting and average settings with an average aperture uh, selection um, to, to not get too much blur. When you get below 500s, you're going to start getting some blur sometimes. Uh, you know, depending upon what your your uh, ISO set at. And again, these are just rules of thumb. I mean, I'm <clears throat> encouraging you guys to Google your asses off and learn all of this and not get, um, you know, to, to, to figure it out on your own. Um, don't, don't, um, it's going to be pretty hard to ask somebody on social media what your settings were at and be able to copy that because every scenario is different. What you want to be able to get to a point of is be able to look at a person's photo and already know what his settings were at for that photo or be pretty close. And so, again, I encourage you, Google, look at all these different settings and figure it out from there. So that kind of covers um, 2.5. I probably didn't have to do this, but, um, you know, I had a lot of questions. And a lot of these questions that I got will also be answered in Section 3 or Part 3, which I'm going to do in a minute, which is more of a lessons learned uh, tech tip type podcast. So we'll start that here in a minute. I'm going to take a break. Uh, and we'll be right back. <laughs> 